This week, the comics guys explain Donna Troy. Yes, thank you, Ben. This time we will be talking about the many confusing and varied origins of one Donna Troy. Darren, where should we start when talking about Donna Troy? She was kind of cursed from the beginning, right? There's the, there she was she was cursed to be complicated because she was basically created as an accident. So it's 1959. Robert Kaniger is writing Wonder Woman. This is the very kind of like earliest days of the Silver Age, right? Like Barry Allen has just been debuted as the Flash. And, you know, we uh, Hal Jordan is just showing up in the, the first showcase stories. So like the new DC Silver Age generation is right at its beginning. And Robert Kaniger is writing Wonder Woman. Uh, Wonder Woman is one of the small handful of titles that survived all the way through the post-World War II kind of, you know, anti-superhero, the superheroes falling off in popularity. And so Wonder Woman is one of the few characters who's kept her title running straight all the way up into the 50s. So she's, the, Kaniger is writing a set of stories about her. And so Kaniger says, you know who's really popular? Superboy. The, the fans really love it when we tell the life story of Superman and the adventures that he had when he was a kid. Right? They love the stories of Smallville. They love the idea of Superboy, the crime-fighting teenage version of Superman. And so he says, why don't we do that with Wonder Woman? You know, Wonder Woman's now been around for a long time, and I bet maybe we'd get more kids to be into our into our comic uh, if we told stories about Wonder Woman when she was a kid. And so with issue number 107, Robert Kaniger writes a story that takes place in Wonder Woman's past, a story from when she was a teenager. Um, and in this story, she wears the outfit, the first wonder girl costume with the red blouse and the blue skirt with the white stars on it but it's wonder woman as a kid it's not a separate character right and she meets a merman a merboy basically and you know they go off and they have an adventure under sea and everything and it's a lovely story whatever um it wasn't the success that kaniger hoped uh but you know he kind of like stuck with the idea and eight months later he tries again um with a uh, second story about Wonder Woman as a kid, as Wonder Girl, basically. Um, and in that second story, there's a flashback within the flashback, right? Like this story is set in the past. And then in the middle of that story, Wonder Girl, the teenager, remembers a thing that she did when she was literally a toddler on, <laughs> on you know, Amazon Island, right? And refers to the, the, the that version of uh, Wonder Woman is referred to as Wonder Tot. Uh, so she is, you know, like a two-year-old with Wonder Woman's superpowers, which is obviously played for laughs and, you know, and, and fine, whatever. Wonder Top is a name that they need to bring back. Wonder right. Top is amazing. Exactly, right. <laughs> More adventures of two-year-olds with superpowers. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so an editor's note at the end of that story, this is issue 113 of Wonder Woman, an editor's note say, uh, you know, write us letters. If you liked seeing lots of stories, these stories about Wonder Girl and Wonder Tot, uh, you know, write us letters and let us know. And if we get enough letters, we'll do more of them. And apparently the answer was, meh, maybe, you know, it wasn't enough that they like dashed out to immediately give Wonder Girl her own comic or anything the way that Superboy did. Superboy was literally starring in adventure comics right now, a comic that didn't have anything about adult Superman in it, right? It was just teenage Superboy. 
And so, you know, Kaniger goes back to this gag every so often for a couple of years. Um, in uh, one issue, number 122 of Wonder Woman, we get uh, the first Wonder Tot solo adventure, like a, you know, eight page comedy story about Wonder Tot just herself. And then in issue 124, we have the problem. We have the mistake, basically. Uh, Wonder Woman herself, uh, because of weird Amazonian science and a, you know, a, a very kind of like roundabout way of telling the story, Hippolyta accidentally uh, uses a magic machine that causes Wonder Woman to travel back in time and meet herself and team up with herself as both Wonder Girl and Wonder Tot. Right, so like in in this story, we actually have panels in which Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl and Wonder Tot are all flying through the air together to go deal with some super problem. Right, these were called uh, the impossible tales of the Wonder Family, because at this point, you know, like Wonder Woman is interacting with herself as a kid, like they were two different characters. Um, these were sufficiently popular that several issues of this, several stories of this took place. Each one was kind of hosted by Hippolyta, basically saying it was an imaginary story, right? Like the first couple of panels of each story would be like, what if Wonder Woman went back in time and met her, you know, teenage self, whatever, or teamed up with her two-year-old self or whatever, right? And they were always very lighthearted and silly and whatever, but there was no question, this is still Diana at each point in her life, right? So okay. there's no there's no continuity. There's no like, you know, time travel paradox or anything, right? That's that's taking it way too seriously. Um, but these stories, you know, like uh, they 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 keep showing up and the more they show up, the less they need Hippolyta saying at the beginning, "Remember, this didn't really happen. It's an imaginary story," right? You know, the same way that we would have all those imaginary stories where, you know, Batman and Batman and uh, Batwoman had kids and they grew up to be Batman too or whatever and they would always be revealed to be like Alfred you know like writing a you know story for himself or whatever yeah um, they do so, these today too we just call them Elseworlds and stuff it, right exactly right yeah. so this has now now it's 1965 six years later we've had 10 or 12 of these stories in which Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl and Wonder Tot are you know like interacting and we've had a few more uh, stories that are just Wonder Girl by herself, right? Like the, you know, Diana as a teenager having more adventures. So in 1965, Bob Haney, a completely different writer, is the lead writer for Brave and the Bold. And Brave and the Bold is kind of an anthology title. It doesn't have a regular feature. It usually features team-ups, right? Like eventually it will go on to be the Batman team-up uh you know, regular series, right? It will be Brave and the Bold, Batman meets some other DC character. But at this point, it doesn't have that kind of like a, a, a regular format. It's just team-ups that are weird little team-ups of, you know, like any random two DC characters that you wanted to stick together. And uh, he and Bruno Premiani, who were working together as the team on Doom Patrol as well, um, Haney uh, does a story with Premiani in which he teams up everybody's teen sidekicks, right? At this point, Batman's got Robin, right. the Flash has Kid Flash, and Aquaman has Aqualad, right? Those are the three main members of the Justice League who had a teenage sidekick. And so uh, Bob and Bruno write this story uh, of 
hey, what if the three teen sidekicks teamed up? Kind of a junior Justice League sort of thing, right? And they work together and they defeat a supervillain and it's a lovely, fun little story. That sells. That sells like crazy, that particular issue. And so the DC editors come back to Bob and Bruno and say, this is a, you, you got a thing here. Let's make these kids into a team. Let's tell a bunch of stories about, uh, you know, like these kids teaming up with each other. Because they hadn't given that group a name in that first story, right? So George Cashton says, is the editor at that point, and he goes to Bob Haney and he says, give me another set of stories. Let's do another Brave and the Bold where they're actually a team. These kids are great. And he says, okay, we should probably, if we're going to make this into a team, we should probably have a girl member, right? Like, for you know, the girl fits. First of all, it always feels weird when you have a superhero team that's all guys. And secondly, we hope that we're going to get, you know, girls to read this, basically. So let's, you know, let's, let's, let's have a girl character. Who else is a teenage girl character that we could put in this story? Now, Bob and Bruno are kind of like skimming around. They've never read an issue of Wonder Woman, right? Like neither of them has had anything to do with Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is not a character that interested them. But Bob and uh, gets a hold of one of these issues, and he sees a story in which Wonder Woman is teaming up with Wonder Girl. He has no idea that these are supposed to be the same person at different points in their lifetimes, right? right? So he's like, Wonder Girl. I didn't know Wonder Woman had a teen sidekick. That's awesome. Let's just use Wonder Girl. Okay. And he and Bruno charge on ahead, writing this story as though Wonder Girl was a different character from Wonder Woman, right? They figured, oh, that's just covered, you know, we don't know what her real name is or anything or what her story is. But I assume Wonder Woman fans will know that because, once again, they've never read a Wonder Woman comic, right? So they do the adventure, the first adventure of what was called the Teen Titans uh, was, was, was the name that they used in this story. Um, and they put Wonder Girl in it like she's, you know, a character in, in the modern time, right? Like, I mean, this, these stories are like Superboy. They're supposed to take place 10 or 15 years before whatever the modern day is in the DC universe, right? But in this case, we have Wonder Girl showing up in a story that clearly takes place today uh, because, you know, Robin and Kid Flash and everybody are active. Um, and they go out and they you know uh, uh they they fight a, a bad guy together they have an adventure together wonder girl doesn't even get a name in this point right like nobody knows what her real name is or any story is right that uh, issue of brave and the bold sells very well and cashton says all right we're going to test this out for real now we want to think maybe the maybe this teen titans actually should get its own comic so we're going to give it one more test and this time we're going to give it a test in our actual tryout book, right? Like in Showcase, which was the place where new characters got like tryouts. It's where Barry Allen first appeared as the Flash. It's where Hal Jordan first appeared as Green Lantern, etc. We'll put it over in that book. And if that sells, then we know Teen Titans should be its own comic. Um, by this point, Bruno Premiani is no longer doing the art. So that goes with Nick Cardi um, becomes the artist for it. And so with Cardi involved, he's younger. Uh, he's come over from Charlton uh, at that point. He was one of the people who kind of like came over with Charlton in the when Dick Giordano and uh, and Ditko had come to DC, and he gives it kind of like he gives it a much kind of like hipper '60s attitude, right? Like now it's '66, getting into '67, and his teenagers have snappy lingo 
right? And they've got a culture and they've got a whole kind of like, you know, Gidget goes to the beach kind of like, you know, the fun attitude, basically. Um, and in this story, they literally rescue a band called the Flips who have been framed for crimes that like they didn't actually commit and they need the Teen Titans to like prove that they're innocent, right? And so like this band is super hip and snap their fingers a lot and they all have Beatles haircuts and stuff, you know? Um, so Wonder Girl, once again, appears in this story. Now it's clear Bob Haney, once again, has no idea how anything in Wonder Woman works. Right, he's he hasn't bothered to continue to learn this, even though he's using this character. So, in both of her uh, appearances to this point, Wonder Girl makes a reference that Hippolyta is her mother, which I guess makes her Wonder Woman's sister. Maybe like we can't really. I mean, Hippolyta's Diana's mother too, right? So you know, we're not really like clear uh, what is actually happening with this character. Right. That issue of Showcase sells great guns out the door tremendously popular couldn't be cooler couldn't be happier and haney and cardi are basically instructed to start putting together a teen titans comic in the meantime while teen titans number one is being put together haney is still writing brave and the bold and he writes a story uh in early 1966 uh in which he teams up wonder woman and supergirl Delightfully, the title of this issue is Revolt of the Super Chicks, which is one of my favorite titles ever. And in this story, Wonder Girl appears in just like a cameo, right? Establishing for the first time that we see Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl on panel together as different people in the modern day in not an imaginary story. Now, in that story, uh, Haney kind of like further shows that he has no idea how Amazon Island works and how anything in like Wonder Woman's background works, because in that story, we actually see a panel where there is a scribe taking down information, you know, like in, in just a background scene of a panel. And it's a guy. <laughs> right. It's like if you know anything about Wonder Woman, you know, guys aren't allowed on Paradise Island. <laughs> right? Like yeah. it's only women there. That's kind of the point. They're Amazons. But he is paying so little attention to kind of like Wonder Woman mythology and Wonder Woman backstory, right? That he literally has guys just hanging around on Paradise Island, you know, working their jobs, basically. Um, so, okay, Teen Titans, we're off and running now, right? And so Teen Titans starts up and it stars Robin, Kid Flash, Aqualad, and Wonder Girl as this kind of like junior Justice League team that are handling situations that are like much more kind of like teenager oriented, right? They do a lot of kind of uh, traveling around the world. Um, they get involved in a lot of kind of like, you know, 60s hippie adventures, right? They face a supervillain who drives, uh, you know, like drag cars, like drag racing. Um, and they have another supervillain who rides a, super, uh, uh, a surfboard, and they have a third supervillain who's literally like a mod costume designer. Um, these are great stories. If you're, you know, into kind of like the goofy end of like the DC universe, these are fabulous. Wonder Girl is in all of these stories. She's really popular. Everybody likes her as a character. Nobody has the vaguest idea who she is. And unlike Dick Grayson and Roy Harper and Wally West and Garth. She doesn't even have a first name. She doesn't even have a real name. They, it's the, the other characters just refer to her as Wonder Girl all the time, like that's her name. 
Okay. Uh, if they're being like flip or informal or, you know, like, hey, hippie chick or whatever, they call her Wendy uh, or occasionally WG, you know, to, you know, show how hip they are or whatever. Um, and that this is never explained. This is never filled in. We are just charging on ahead. Fans are writing in right at this point saying, uh, who, who is this character? Can somebody ever like get around to explaining this? But of course, Bob Haney has zero interest in explaining anything that he's doing and just keeps going for two or three more years. Finally, it's 1969, right? Teen Titans has now been around for three years and Bob Haney has stopped writing it. He's gone on to do other stuff. In fact, he is still writing Brave and the Bold, making it into a Batman team-up comic. And so at no point point do any of the editors ever go, you've got to describe who this character is. Yeah, no, not at all. (laughs) For whatever reason, never, it never, you know, like nobody realizes that it's a problem really. I mean, they, they, they notice it enough, obviously to print letters in the comic saying, Hey, who is this character? Right. (laughs) But nobody's resolved it. Nobody cares about this comic enough to you know like get in and tell a story about this or like explain this in any way right or they're all kind of like we'll get to that eventually whatever so it's august 1969 where teen titans number 22 issue number 22 and the writer is very young new writer for the comic basically who has been a fan of dc comics since the 50s basically and that's marv wolfman Marv Wolfman is 23 when he gets this job, basically. It's not his first uh, t- uh, series for, or first comics for DC, but it's his first ongoing series, right? He's written a couple of other individual issues, and he wrote some horror stories, uh, you know, for like House of Mystery and that sort of thing. And he's done a bunch of stuff. But Teen Titans, he's getting a chance to do Teen Titans. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay. You know, I'm, he, he's, he's, he's always wanted. It's always bugged him that Wonder Girl doesn't have an identity, that Wonder Girl doesn't have an explanation who she is, that she doesn't even have a name, right? So he does a story in issue number 22 with Gil Kane, veteran DC, you know, legend artist, basically. And the two of them sit down and they create the story, the origin of Wonder Girl. 10 years after her first appearance in Wonder Woman, Four years after her first appearance as Wonder Girl, the somehow separate character, we finally get to this story. And in this story, we learn that there was a mortal girl who was an orphan. Uh, and she was, there was an apartment fire. There was a fire in like the orphanage or whatever that she was uh, being held in. And Wonder Woman came and saved the day. And she flew out of the you know, burning building holding this baby. But they could never find anything that, you know, they didn't know what happened to her parents or anything. And, uh, you know, th- this this baby had no place to go. So Wonder Woman, apparently, just because she's Wonder Woman and doesn't have to pay attention to laws or anything like that, decides to take her to raise her on Paradise Island. Uh, she grows up as kind of like a foster sister on Paradise Island. And since she doesn't have any superpowers, unlike every other Amazon, right, it's very difficult for her to function in a society where everybody but you is super strong and can fly and et cetera, et cetera, right? Like you're the, you know, you're, you're, you're as an ordinary girl, basically, she's left out of everything. So Wonder Woman gets permission 
from her mother, Hippolyta, to use the purple ray on her. And the purple ray is a plot device uh, gadget that does basically whatever the writer needs it to do at that time that was first used by one of Wonder Woman's World War II supervillainesses, uh, Paula von Gunther. So it's literally Nazi technology. Uh, but apparently we've, we've whitewashed that part out of it now. And using the purple ray, they give this girl this, the powers necessary to just kind of like grow up and function on Paradise Island with all the other Amazons. Um, and uh, she still apparently has no name at this point, though uh, you know it's later been kind of like retroactively suggested that because she was, uh, you know, Diana kind of like treated her as a foster little sister or something that they named her Donna because that was close to Diana. That that doesn't appear in this first story, right? But that's kind of retconned in in later appearances. Because that's so, how they, you just kind of name that? you just kind of name siblings similar sounding names, right? Yeah. yeah so okay, sounds, sure, yeah, sure. So she leaves Paradise Island in this story, apparently without permission, and comes to Man's World like her good friend Wonder Woman did, right? And discovers the existence of this superhero team of teenagers, of teen sidekicks, uh, you know, that's led by Robin, basically, and asks to join them. And they're like, yeah, honestly, you're the most powerful one of us, right? Like, compared to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Batman's sidekick. I don't have any powers at all. Aquaman's sidekick, okay, cool. He can breathe underwater and whatever, you know. Uh, Kid Flash, okay, he can go really fast, but you're, you know, you can pick up buildings and stuff. You're ridiculously powerful. So, so turn her down. Exactly right. You you make our team much cooler, right? <laughs> so, um, and then it is kind of revealed. Well, she's got no place to go, no family. Wonder Woman doesn't even know she's here yet at this point, which count contradicts the stories where you know they were hanging out on uh, on Paradise Island just you know a couple years ago. Um, and so she's basically homeless, and she's been secretly living in their headquarters. Like she will leave after their team meeting, but then she'll sneak back in and spend the night in their headquarters. And Robin's like, that's awful. You know, like surely we can do something about this, right? Like to discover that for the last two years, uh, you've been, you know, I don't know what, sleeping on the floor of our headquarters. That's terrible. We, we have to do something about this. (laughs) So with Robin's assistance at the end of this story, she adopts the name Donna Troy for the first time. And she moves into a Greenwich Village apartment uh, with a ordinary human roommate, uh, you know, Sharon Tracy. And it's the first time she gets the red uh, jumpsuit costume, right? She, she changes costumes from like the, the, the red top with the blue skirt and everything to a, to a one piece, basically. That's like the red costume covered in yellow stars. And she gets a new hairstyle. She gets like a longer hairstyle because we're, you know, we're, we're updating the Teen Titans. Right, like all of them are kind of like being treated at more like they're like eighteen than like they're fifteen now, right? Kind of thing. And so now Donna is a hip young kid living in Greenwich Village with her, you know, friends and and everything in her full power, and she's got an origin, right? Now she's got a now she's got a life story. This black star costume for her, but I guess that's not until much later, is it? That that comes a little, that comes way later, yeah. No, this one's the red one with the, it's got the gold belt and then like gold stars, uh, you know, like on the, on the top, basically, that kind of like run from her shoulders down to her navel, basically. Okay. So this is now the state of Wonder Girl, 
from 1969 to 1973. 1973, Titans finally kind of, you know, runs out of steam, gets canceled as a series. 1976, there is a brief revival. Bob Rosakis makes a try at bringing back the Teen Titans, and Wonder Girl is once again part of this team. Um, very little in the way of kind of like a personal life is, is, is given to her. She's briefly kind of like romantically connected to both Speedy, Green Arrow's sidekick, and Kid Flash. Neither are ever kind of like taken seriously, but maybe she's dating them, right? She's, she's clearly friendly with them. Uh, this is the time stretch. The, this, uh, when the revival of Teen Titans is going on is when the Wonder Woman TV show is happening. And everyone will agree, all right-thinking fans of Wonder Woman will agree that the two best episodes of Wonder Woman are the ones where Deborah Winger plays Wonder Girl. Uh, it as a you know like the as as the guest star character right and so many more people at this time know Wonder Girl from the TV show from the two fabulous episodes in which Deborah Winger is hilarious as Wonder Girl um, than have any idea of like what she was about in the comics, but that story kind of like underlines the idea first of all that Wonder Woman and Wonder Girl are separate characters but in in the TV show none of Wonder Girl's origin is has anything to do with that of, of, of Donna, right? Like she's the, the Deborah Winger's character is very clearly just a younger girl from the same place Wonder Woman is from. And there's no idea of like her being actually human uh, and going there as a kid or anything like that. None of that comes up. So most people don't realize that's part of her backstory. They just assume she's another Amazonian, right? Right. Now we get her. So the, that revival kind of craps out after you know, only about a year and a half, and Wonder Girl kind of disappears again. We don't see her again for a while. Marv Wolfman, during this time, over this decade since he was first writing Teen Titans as a kid, now has become one of DC's main writers, right? Mm-hmm. He's writing Superman. He's writing Batman. He's writing a bunch of different stuff. He's like one of the, their lead guys. And he continues to have a tremendous fondness for the Teen Titans characters, because like he started with these guys, right? And so he meets George Perez, and the two of them pitch a new Teen Titans series to DC that would literally be called New Teen Titans. And he takes a few of the older characters, the ones that we know, specifically Robin, Kid Flash, and Wonder Girl, and then he adds a bunch of new teenage heroes to them. And so kind of like in one fell swoop of just like enormous you know, creativity. He, he creates cyborg and, uh, Raven and, uh, adds. adds what's that? The starfire now, or just she starfire. Coming? Yeah. And then adds beast boy. Okay. Right. Who right. had already been introduced in doom patrol, right. As like a separate teen character. So those four characters join kind of like the three older teen Titans and form this new team. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's tremendous. I uh, personally am, am an enormous fan of those first few years of Wolfman Perez Teen Titans. It was absolutely one of the best things on the stands in the early eighties when I was growing up as a, as a teenage, you know, comic book fan. Um, it's, you know, George Perez at the height of his art powers, Wolfman is having a ball. He clearly loves these characters. He has all kinds of stories to tell about them. Yeah, uh, Raven is basically the character who kind of like brings them all together so that they can face her demon father and everything. But I mean, all of these characters are very 
kind of well-defined, well-sculpted, you know, they're, they're interesting. They're, they feel like real people. Really amazing. They brought up three of them all in like, you know, one issue. In one issue, right. It's the first appearance of like three different major DC characters, right. Are all, you know, like created at the same time, basically. And Beast Boy basically might as well be a new character because the version of him that Wolfman Perez do has nothing to do with a Doom Patrol version of him, right? So they basically created four characters. Uh, so in issue number three, literally just the third issue of New Teen Titans, we get start, we start to get some of Donna's new backstory. Uh, Donna has now become a professional photographer. That's how she pays her bills. That's how she pays for her Greenwich Village apartment. That was never explained before. Uh, her roommate has moved out. So she needs a new roommate. So she invites Starfire Coriander to come be her new roommate. And so now we see, you know, she's got a, she's got a life and a backstory and all this other stuff. And then in issue number eight, we meet Donna's boyfriend. And Donna's boyfriend is a guy named Terry Long. And Terry Long is clearly in his 30s, right? While Donna is still supposed to be not even 19 yet. Hmm. And so it's a little creepy. It's a little weird. It's also a little weird that uh, Terry Long looks a lot like Marv Wolfman, <laughs> right? There's kind of, you know, you're starting to kind of like wonder about like Marv's, you know, uh, uh, relationship with this fictional character, right? Who he clearly adores. Everybody in Teen Titans loves Donna. Donna is like the perfect girl, right? And he has now set her up with a guy who is divorced, who has a child who is, you know, clearly somewhere eight to 10 years old. And they are now in this like long-term relationship. That's a little weird. It's a little weird, right? But everybody, I mean, you know, he writes Terry as a good guy. Uh, you know, their romance seems kind of like sweet if you can get over the fact that he's like 15 years older than her or something, you know, anyway, it will come back to that because Terry becomes a big problem later. <laughs> but at this point, they're, they're just fine. They're just, you know, having a romance in the background. Donna is a key part of all of the adventures that the, you know, that, that the, the Titans go through for the first four or five years of their comic. She is clearly, you know, part of the heart and soul of the team. She's kind of second in charge after Robin. And then when Robin quits for a little bit to come back as Nightwing to kind of go through his, you know, like kind of personal journey to, to create the, the, the uh, persona of Nightwing, it's Donna who takes over as the leader of the team. Right. Um, at that point, Wonder Girl is starting to sound like, you know, inappropriate for a superhero name for someone who is clearly having an adult relationship and is clearly, you know, being treated by everybody as an adult, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't really have anything else to do with her. By around, now we're in 1984, uh, headed towards 1985, and Terry asks Donna to marry him. And she says yes. And Dick Grayson basically says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm for my wedding present to you guys. I am going to go back and I'm going to research the orphanage. I'm going to find out who your real parents are. That will be my present to you guys is to use my great Batman trained detective skills to find out about Donna's life before she was in that orphanage when Wonder Woman rescued her. Okay. That's kind of weird, but all right. Once again, kind of weird, but it turns into an amazingly great story, right? Like this is many Titans fans. It's one of their favorite stories basically because we get to see Dick being a detective in a situation that has nothing to do with supervillains. Okay, right? He fair. just has to go out and do the research and like find out what's going on. 
he uncovers that Donna's real mother was a woman named Dorothy Hinckley, who had brought Donna to the orphanage when she learned she was dying of cancer. Uh, Donna was then first adopted by the Stacy family, and then the Stacys returned her to the orphanage after uh, the father of the Stacy family was killed in a car accident. Oof. Then she is acquired in like a child selling scheme by a crooked lawyer. Okay. And the people who actually die in the apartment fire that Wonder Woman rescues them from, the, the people who are the, 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 that everybody kind of like thought maybe their parent, her parents who had like died in the fire, were in fact actually the go-betweens who were just taking care of the kid while the lawyer was like looking, coming up with a crooked scheme basically to sell her as a baby. <laughs> right? Um, and so Wonder Woman kind of like rescued her for that. So Dick actually actually is able to uh, introduce her to some of her relatives, right? From the Stacy family and everybody. She like winds up with this whole new kind of like supporting cast of relatives that Dick has, has discovered the existence of. Right. And in the very last scene, he takes her to Donna's uh, to Donna's mother, Dorothy Hinckley's grave so that she can, in fact, actually, you know, kind of like say goodbye to her actually real biological mother. It's a lovely story. It's a you know, and it's it's unlike most of what was happening in comics at the time. Right. It was a very kind of like down to earth, no costumes, no superpowers, no weird, you know, supervillains or anything. This was just kind of like her life story. and then. In issue number 50, the two get married in another like beloved story, right? So now Donna is married to Terry. They go off on kind of like an extended uh, honeymoon. And Donna is now stepmother to Terry's daughter, Jenny. And this is the state of things for the next year or so. Then the crisis comes along. Now, Marv and George don't have a great deal of like excuse for this because they wrote Crisis, right? Like the same people who were writing Teen Titans at the time are also the ones who were doing the Crisis. Right. But as part of the Crisis, with all of the things that are happening, all of the like changes in the DC universe, as they're getting rid, they're merging all of the Earths and getting rid of all of the parallel Earths. Everybody's going to live on one Earth. Everybody's going to have one story. Uh, you know, that's there will be one continuous timeline that the justice society and the justice league and everybody were all on the same planet etc all of this stuff is being done supergirl is dead flash is dead etc wonder woman gets rebooted and wonder woman gets rebooted because george perez is taking over as the writer slash artist of her new uh, new title and as part of that deal she's getting a new number one right new issue number one we're making a whole big splash out of this and so george says, well, you know, like my version of Wonder Woman, I want to start Wonder Woman today, right? Like we're, we're, since we're changing history anyway, as part of like the post-crisis story, I want to tell the stories of how Wonder Woman is introduced to man's world, right? So Wonder Woman now no longer has a hat, no longer has a past, right? Like her first appearance in this new universe is Wonder Woman number one, which happens right after the crisis, which is great. Everybody loves it. It's a smash hit. Except for the Titans fans who are like, if Wonder Woman hasn't been around for 18 years, who rescued Donna out of the burning orphanage, right? Good kind point. of a, yet another kind of like crisis created, you know, score on your own goal, right? We've talked about Hawkman and how he was screwed up by crisis, et cetera. Once again, we never actually wrote a solution to this into the story. So uh, for a couple of years, Marv is perfectly unlike the you know earlier DC. He's perfectly aware that he's created a continuity problem, right? And he starts teasing the fans 
about it. He's like, yeah, hmm, that really is interesting. I wonder who it was who saved her, right? You know, he's clearly aware that, you know, that, and, and keep, kind of keeps promising that there will be a story that will explain this. <laughs> and he doesn't actually do it until 1988. So it's two full years of like teasing the fans, basically saying, I know we've screwed this up. Give me a chance to actually, you know, explain it. And so with New Teen Titans, number, actually New Titans number 50, which is a different series from New Teen Titans, uh, they do a second Who is Donna Troy story, kind of a sequel to the first one. Mm-hmm. And in this one, they now retell the story, except that the abandoned child in the uh, orphanage is not rescued by Wonder Woman, but is rescued by a Titan, one of the actual Titans from Greek mythology named Rhea. Okay. And Rhea rescues her and brings her to the world of the Titans called Neucronus. And these Titans, of course, are like the progenitors of the whole Greek pantheon, right? They created the Greek gods. So they are kind of indirectly responsible for the creation of Wonder Woman, etc., and Paradise Island, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so Rhea takes this child to Neucronus. And it turns out there's a whole bunch of other kids on other planets who are also somehow kind of like carry within them this Titan seed, this God seed, basically. Um, And so all of these children are brought to Neucronus where they are raised and taught by the Titans. They're taught the ways of the gods, whatever the hell that means. And then all of these kids are mind wiped and returned back to their home worlds where they will like lead their worlds into eventually discovering Neucronus and, you know, joining the great society of the Neucronus planets. And so Wonder Girl, now her story is that she was like returned to Earth with these powers and no memory of where she was during the time from the time she was a baby until she joined the Teen Titans. And in fact, she named the Teen Titans their name out of some subconscious awareness of the existence of the Titans, the Titans of myth, basically. Okay. So she and her teammates, the, the Titans, then go off into space and they fight another one of like the god seeds who was like her called Sparta. And after they beat her up and they win, uh, Donna changes her superhero name uh, to Troya, which is not a terribly good name, but okay, fine. She gets that Starfield costume that you were referring to. She cuts her hair, uh, changes her hairstyle and everything, and becomes a new character as Troya of the Teen Titans, or of the Titans, because they're not teenagers anymore. It's dumb. It's not a great story. No. But it's hardly the worst thing to come out of like the post-crisis fixes, right? There's a lot of characters who are treated worse than that uh, in you know post, uh, post-crisis foolishness. Cough, you cough, know. Power Girl. Cough, cough, Hawkman. Cough, cough, Hawkman, right? Cough, cough, the Legion of Superheroes with like, yeah. now there's never was never a Superboy, etc. That's many characters were treated very poorly. Troya kind of got off easy, <laughs> right? Like if that's the dumbest thing that happens to her, that's fine. But I don't think that is the dumbest thing that happens. Oh, no. So <laughs> now we're now the Titans series is going along. And, you know, now it's it's eight, it's 88 or so. Um, the Titan series has kind of fallen off from, for a while, it was the flagship, right? It was the number one best-selling title DC was doing. It was critically acclaimed. Everybody loved it. And within a couple of years after Crisis, uh, it's kind of like, you know, fallen off. It's fallen apart. The stories aren't as good. 
George isn't doing the art anymore. Marv is clearly distracted. Not only was Crisis like an enormous drain on his resources as a writer, but he gets into a big fight with DC's management starting in like 1987 and going on for a year or two, um, fighting with DC over their proposed rating system that they were going to put on their comics, right? That they were going to have titles that were for mature audiences and teen audiences and everything. And he thought they were, he wasn't even against the idea of a rating system so much as he thought their version of it was terrible, right? And so he gets into a big fight. He's one of DC's editors at this point, and he gets in a big fight with the upper management. They fire him as an editor. Hmm. He keeps a couple of his freelance jobs because he's still considered a good writer, but they basically throw him out of the office. Um, and so like his, you know, the, the stuff that he's doing for, uh, uh, as a freelancer, um, kind of seems to suffer. And a lot of the plots that he was doing uh, were received fairly poorly by the, by, by the fans. Um, he immediately after creating Troya, he does this extended storyline with this mysterious being called Wildebeest, uh, who is like, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, supervillain who is somehow incredibly cool, despite the fact that nobody likes him and he can somehow beat up everybody. And there's no explanation for why he's better than the Titans and everything. And we keep teasing that we're going to explain who he is, but we never do. Meanwhile, Marv is also writing Batman and he's been given the job of replacing Jason Todd, who just got killed, right? We just did the whole uh, Jason Todd killed by the, the, the Jokers thing. So Marv is in, very busy at Batman creating Tim Drake as the new Robin. So the wandering plot lines are kind of like going all over the place. A big chunk of Titan's time of the, the issues of Titan were devoted to the Tim Drake story and Nightwing working with Tim Drake. So like Titans could never get like kind of an extended, you know, set of screen time and the plots were messy when they did. Um, and so we have like the, this entire run. Finally, Carl Kiesel winds up taking over Titans for a bit to give Marv just some time off to catch up. And we have this extended set of stories where, you know, Wildebeest is revealed to be a whole organization and Jericho is evil and all these other things are going on. Troya never gets into any of these stories. Um, and so she kind of like barely appears as a background character until 1992. In 1992, Marv tells the story in which we have a team of Titans from the future who travel back in time. And they have traveled back in time because in their time, the Earth is being controlled by a supervillain called Lord Chaos. And Lord Chaos is a really bad guy, and we got to you know, deal with him. And the only way we can deal with him is to go back to when Lord Chaos was born and kill him as a baby. Because by, after that, he'll be too powerful, right? Well, it turns out Lord Chaos is actually Donna and Terry's unborn son. Donna is revealed to be pregnant at this point uh, with a, uh, an unborn son who then gets born really quickly uh, in, in, in the course of these stories. Why he is somehow destined to become a super cosmic bad guy is never really explained, but it's kind of supposed to be tied to the Titans of myth, I guess, sort of. Um, and of course, Donna is like, well, you're not killing my baby. That's not, you know, there's got to be some other solution. And so she winds up fighting this team of Titans from the future. Um, and trying to protect the baby, uh, you know, and this whole kind of like uh, uh, foolishness goes on. In the end of this extended storyline, Lord Chaos, the adult, gets killed by these like elder gods. And as part of the story, in order to save her child, Donna has to give up her superpowers entirely. Ooh. 
And so for a year or two, she is not, she is still exists in the background of the stories as a stay at home mom raising her baby and also her, you know, now 12 year old other stepdaughter, basically. Um, Marv very much wanted those kids in the Titans from the future to become a new spinoff line, a new spinoff series that he would uh, uh, be the writer of, basically. And so while he is launching this series called Team Titans that stars these Team Titans from the future who have traveled back from the future to be, you know, heroes of the 90s, basically, uh, he stops writing Titans for the first extended time in almost 13 years. Louis Simonson starts writing um, Titans. And Donna is basically out of the story. Um, in issue number 20, issues number 21 and 22 of the Team Titans launch, Donna has now, now her baby is somehow seems surprisingly large, despite the fact that only a few months seem to have passed in time. Her baby is now like a toddler. Um, she tries to get her powers back. And you think the storyline is going to be that, oh, this is where we get Troya slash Wonder Girl, whatever, back. But in that series, uh, she fails, right? The gods turn her down. And it becomes part of this whole kind of storyline in which uh, happens to kind of like crash into the zero hour big summer crossover. And in the big summer crossover, Team Titans gets canceled. And Donna's, you know, the last time we see her basically is being rejected by the gods uh, in her efforts to kind of like get her powers back and return to being a superhero. So Donna and that, really makes it into uh, the Wonder Woman comics then? Because everything we've been talking about basically happens in Teen Titans. In Titans. She occasionally appears, but not really. Um, because yeah, she's, you know... She did become a uh, you know support character for for the main series, but I guess not. Not, not well, she's in it in the, in the 70s, and uh, uh, she does appear occasionally. But by the time we're the, at, at this point in the 80s and 90s, she's not a big part of Perez's Wonder Woman, right? Because he's doing all of these like great mythical stories and everything. And if she appears, it's only for like a few panels. She never really kind of, uh, you know, teams up with Diana or anything. Uh, she's going to do a lot more of that later. Um, but in this kind of run, when Perez is doing the doing Wonder Woman, Donna is not a uh, not a not a major character in Wonder Woman at all, and nothing important happens to her in those stories. Right? She is always, uh, if anything is going to happen to her character, it happens in Titans. Right. Makes sense. So anyway, now she is like I said, she's stay at home mom, uh, you know, who had tried to get her powers back and failed. And Zero Hour is once again kind of like rewriting the universe, uh, you know, a few years after Crisis, everything is getting redone again, which I think is a good time to, uh, you know, like break this off because we're about halfway through the story and she's got a lot more problems coming up after this. Absolutely. That makes sense. Next time we'll kick off with Zero Hour. Uh, I've been Steve Tasker. And I'm Darren Watts. Have a good night. Have fun. Thanks for coming.